we're looking at the, the one another statements and, and how, how that plays out to the big C church. There's all throughout the New Testament, we're told how to live one to another. And today, we're going to talk about a topic uh, that is, is a little bit different. We're going to talk about making life lighter, okay? Making life lighter. And, and here's, I'm going to start by telling you this. You know, when I was raised uh, as a young boy, and, and I don't think it's really changed in America, uh, I was raised to believe that everything you do is about individualism. It's about, it's about you taking on your own ownership, finding your own path and finding your own way. And I'm all for that. Making your own money, not depending on anybody. I was raised in a household that, you know, you, you don't depend on other people. You find a way and you make it happen. And, and I, I think that's awesome when it comes to how we do commerce. I'm all for capitalism. I think it's awesome in how we look at how we run our businesses and, and doing our best to be self-sufficient. But I will tell you this, when it comes to how we live life, it's far different because God created people way before before he created currency, right? He, he, he created people way before he created money. So it's true. It's hard as an American to, to unlearn the fact that rugged individualism, it is a great path for business and it is a great path for how we can run our republic. But when it comes to the church, we are called to live one to another. And so today I want to kind of unpack that for you in a way that's a little bit different. Uh, Paul has a phrase in Galatians chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, go kind of to the end of it. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, you'll find it kind of right in there. Galatians chapter 6. It was written by a man named Paul. Hey, let Mother turn in there. Give me a little more house lights. I, I want to make sure I can see some of these people, you know. Uh, I don't like anybody sneaking up on me. So, uh, you know, kind of want to see what the crack could. There we go. Oh, that's a lot. You can go down a little. I don't like them that much. Uh, there you go. Right, that's, that's better, you know. Get that. Enough to hide the flaws, enough to let me see the expressions, right? That's how we're going to do it, right? <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Um, Galatians chapter 6. Now, it's just one verse we're going to kind of key in on this morning, right? Galatians 6, 2. Paul says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. We're called to bear one another's burdens. Now, how do you really do that, though, right? How do you actually go about bearing, burden bearing? Well, that can, get a, a, that can get intense pretty quick. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start you out in a place that you may think, okay, now, we know I'm supposed to carry your burden, you're supposed to carry mine. That's kind of like standing in front of the ocean with a big sea, right? Like, wh where do I start? How does that look? What does it mean to be obedient to bear one another's burdens? Am I all of a sudden going to take on the whole world as my new project? No, you're not. So you can relax on that, right? We are going to talk about how it applies to us as people who walk with Christ. And I'm going to start you somewhere that might not make sense, but maybe it will in a second. If you want to start bearing one another's burdens and being the church to the people you care about, then the first thing that's got to happen is a change in your mind. My mindset must demand that God's kingdom gets first place. So I want you to write that down. My mindset must demand that God's kingdom get first place. So why would you start there when it comes to burden bearing? Well, I'll tell you why. If you read the verse, there's, there's a qualifier in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Why would Paul say that? Well, what did Jesus say? So often when Jesus was pressed, he said things, the, the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders would often push him on what's the most important commandment. And Jesus would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus put that first and foremost, to love God. 
If you want to love God, you've got to be able to to love him in such a way that his kingdom gets prominence in your life. Now, in the New Testament church, now, if you're going to do a church series, most people would start in the book of Acts. And we're going to get there. We're going to get to the book of Acts, especially Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Because in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, you have this model, kind of like a a mini-movie of what the early church looked like. The early church ran a little different. It ran way different than we do today. But there's something that happened in Acts 2 that I wanted to point out to you this morning. And I put it on a a scripture up here. Do we see Acts chapter 2 on there? There we go. Yeah. All the believers were one in heart and one in mind. Okay? Now, now I want to start by saying that's not to say that they weren't all just getting along. I want to stop for a second. It's easy to say, to look at that and go, oh, they must have all got along and played well in the sandbox. I'm not talking about everybody getting along, but yet not liking each other. I mean, we know how to do that. We're in the South, right? I mean, we know how to not like you and still be nice to you, right? It's kind of what we do. But all the believers here had one mind. That means they had the same purpose. They had the same mindset for life. No one, now look at the second part. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You get a little bit of a glimpse into why they were together. They weren't just together because it was nice to be nice and good to be good and kind to be kind. That's not what they were doing. They were one in heart and one in mind because they loved God. They loved each other because they loved God. Jesus had come on the scene and he had formed a church And so they began to meet each other's needs because they wanted to meet the kingdom's needs. See, the kingdom mattered to these people, and it showed up in how they lived. If you want to start loving people, it starts with loving God. Because when you love God, people begin to take on a a whole new meaning to you. Now, I don't know if this is the best way to describe it, but I'm going to give it a shot. I thought of it this week. How do I illustrate this idea of how the church is different than just running through life in the sense of the status quo? Let me show you a picture of some apples and some rice here. Now, you could, you could, eat, you could eat rice and apples and drink water for the rest of your life, Okay. Now, some of y'all are already geeking out on nutrition issues, and you're going, your mind's going all kinds of, oh, that's too many carbohydrates. And you just stop. Just stop doing that. I'm, I picked those out of thin air, right? So you got rice, and you got apples, and you got water. Now, you could survive. Let's, let's just say you could survive on that, right? You could survive on it, but you couldn't thrive on it. You could survive like this, but you can't thrive like that. I think at some point, you're going to be malnourished. At some point, you're going to you're going to miss that. And can we all just agree that that would be a really boring way to live? Like you can't cook any of that in bacon grease, right? You can't fry that up. It's good. You can try fried rice. You, you can, I, well, I actually, you can fry apples. I, I, I'm going backward here. I guess you can do some things. But can we at least agree that you're going to miss out on so many types of varieties of food? You're going to miss out on, on all these different things that we've been given to eat. And then what about the social implication? I mean, think about how much of life we do over food. When I was working on my undergrad, there was this girl on the master's level in sociology, and she did an entire thesis on, her whole thesis was on the social implications of the coffee cup. Think about it. It's pretty pretty true, right? 
I mean, for those of you that are hardcore coffee drinkers, I mean, you just, you just kind of inject it into that port that you keep in your arm right out of the gate, right? You know, you just drink it. But, but most of life in a coffee cup is about people doing life over a coffee cup. In fact, Howard Schultz, I watched an interview with the founder of Starbucks, or the Starbucks as we know it now. It was a fascinating interview with him. See, Starbucks was started with, by these two men, and they didn't serve, wait for it, they did not serve drinkable coffee because they were coffee snobs. They're like, no, no, no. No, real coffee drinkers, they make their own coffee. They grind their own beans. So Starbucks was started as a coffee bean company. They hired Howard Schultz because sales were down really bad. So he, he said, okay, I need to go do some research. So he went, to, he went to Europe, and he toured all of Europe, and he began to notice something about coffee houses. They were everywhere. And in those coffee houses, he said, I heard people talking about divorces and children and life. And he came back to the States and he said, listen, if we want to take Starbucks somewhere, we've got to start creating these franchises where we give people the ability to do life together. And they said, yeah, that's crazy. Nobody's going to do that. We don't want to do that. We're not going to do that. So he leveraged all that he had, raised a bunch of money, and he bought out the two men, and then the rest is history. But I watched this interview with Howard Schultz one time, and the interviewer asked him, I couldn't believe it, the interviewer asked him, what does Starbucks do? Because all kinds of people sell coffee. What does Starbucks do? He never blinked. He never missed a step. He said, we shape souls. That is an interesting answer from a coffee company. We shape souls. And the interviewer said, oh, come on. He said, I'm not joking. He said, you think it's about coffee? When we created Starbucks, we created a place where people could go and share life. We gave them an ecosystem to do it. A place to go sit down. You see, if you live your whole life just right there, if that's coming to church, if you just come to church and attend, it's the equivalent of eating rice and an apple for the rest of your life, and that is boring. It's called religion. You just come here, you just get a little bit extra to get you through the week. No, Jesus called us to bear one another's burdens. There's no bearing of burdens if you're getting by on the least amount of nutrition possible. We're called to push into the middle. God gave us an ecosystem far before Starbucks. He gave us an ecosystem to do life in, and it's called the people of God. And and it's it's called getting in there and, and learning to live with each other and bear one another's burdens. And you can't do that if you just treat it like another thing you do. I'm not called to just attend. I'm called to be an owner of the community of faith. So it starts with your mindset of how you view life in general. It's got to have first place. We are called a kingdom for a reason. And, we're, and Paul calls us citizens of that kingdom. And that leads me to my second point. If you want to bear one another's burdens, you can't just put God first. You've got to do one other thing. You've got to live at a pace where you can notice the burden. You've got to be able to live at a pace. I think I wrote that down. Do we, we have that? Yeah, my pace must allow me to notice. If you, if you want to run a life where you can learn to bear burdens. You can't do that if you're only absorbed with your own life and your own self. And I'll tell you, I've had to really grow in that. I've had to grow in what it means to learn to be present. And I'll tell you, nobody, nobody helped me with that and has has continued to help me with that more than Michelle. My wife has taught me from the earliest days of our dating and marriage how to be present right? Now, in case y'all didn't know, I talk a lot, 
okay? I mean, I get paid to talk. I think everybody's entitled to my opinion, right? So that's what I do. So, you know, I'm kind of shortchanging you if I don't tell you a lot of stuff, right? Well, here's what you don't know about me. Not only am I an extrovert, and not only do I have a word count that's like, I don't know, 7 million a day. Like, y'all have steps y'all are trying to get. I'm trying to get in words, okay? Some of you hit your steps. I'm hitting my word limits, right? Well, when I get nervous, I really talk. Like, there's no way. Oh, yeah, it's bad. And I talk fast and a lot, and I'm coming at you like a machine gun, right? Because I'm trying to figure out if you like me or not, right? And so I just keep talking. So if you want to shut me down, give me a little something back, right? Let me know you love me. I wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be offended to say, hey, Jason, I like you. It's all good. Awesome. I'm moving on. I'll get out of your hair, right? So our first date, man, like, I think she said like two words. Because I, I wanted to impress her, and I didn't know how. So I just kept talking, like all kinds of stuff. And, uh, but we still went back out. So it's, it's, it's a win, right? Fast forward to a few years into our marriage, and, and I began to notice that Michelle would notice things that I didn't. I began to notice, like, we'd come away from a party or some social interaction, and she would be like, boy, that lady was really hurting. And I'm like, who, that lady we were talking to? Yeah. She wasn't hurting. How'd you pick up on that? I was listening. You were talking. I'm like, oh, I see how this works. Right? And I would begin to see, like, we'd, we'd go to these interactions, or we'd meet somebody at church, or we'd be at a ball game, and she'd be like, man, man, can you believe they're going through that? I'm like, going through what? We were talking about baseball. Yeah, for a while, but did you not notice? I'm like, no, I didn't notice. Because I wasn't always present. Or what I was present on wasn't about them, it was often about me. And, I, and I've had to learn over time, if you really do want to bear burdens and you want God to use you, you got to be present. And the way you're present is you got to live life at a pace that people aren't a nuisance to you or that people aren't a burden to you. I think that's part of our reason why we're scared to bear each other's burdens. We're thinking, oh my gosh, that's like a whole nother thing. Like that's like... Do you realize, Jason, how big my to-do list is, man? Like, have you seen my calendar? I'm just going to tell you, friends, calendars don't make it to heaven. They just don't. And I'm not minimizing our work schedules, but what I am telling you is that when you live your life at a self-absorbed rate, you're not going to notice people. And if you want God to use you, you've got to slow your life and your mind to a place where when you're having a conversation with somebody, that in that 27 seconds, for those of you in leadership, if you lead people, I'm telling you, it's amazing what happens when you listen without the intent of changing something. Just listen to what they're saying. You know, when studies are done, more often than not, you'll find that in the marketplace... When executives do studies of marketplace life, what people want more than anything with people that lead them is time with the people that lead them. Just time to know their mind and know their heart. When Jim Collins did his big study on good to great, one of the things he discovered was that that when CEOs of some of the greatest companies in the world, when they were in uh, creative board meetings... They found that the average CEO did not need their idea to win. They just wanted to make sure their idea was heard among the others. 
It's really interesting what happens when we know that people are listening and then they're present. You'll start picking up on real burdens. If we're going to carry another's burdens, then we're going to have to learn to put God first. And what that does is it frames up the way we view people. All of a sudden, people aren't there to be a nuisance to you. People are there because God made people. Let me tell you something, friends. God cares about people because that's who he died for. And we're called to bear that burden out in real life. So I want to point out one thing before we move off this point. Notice there's something missing from Galatians 6 2. He didn't say to all ye pastors, bear one another's burdens in the congregation. This is a word for all of us. It is impossible for a church the size of Clearview for your staff to bear one another's burdens. That is impossible. We'll never do it like that. We can't. But we are called to bear one another's burdens together. So this is a whole church thing. So I'm going to give you two key ways that you can turn this into reality. I know that there are probably 50 ways we could start helping one another with bearing the burdens, but I'm going to give you two this morning, okay, based on this passage. I want to read this passage to you before I give you the two, because there was a couple of verses I intentionally left out. Let's start in verse 1. Here we go. Brethren, that, that is literally straight talk for everybody. Brothers and sisters, all God's people is what that word means. If anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. You know what Paul is saying there in verse 3, don't you? For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He's literally saying, don't think you're too good to care. Don't think you're too good to stop your life and bear a burden for somebody. So how do we do this? I'm going to give you two ways. Number one, I would say God wants me to steer those who are straying. He wants me to steer those who are straying. Now, now here's why this matters. Look in verse 1. Brethren, if any one of you is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, very important, restore in a spirit of gentleness. Don't you find it interesting that Paul starts there? He starts with the fact that when somebody's straying from the faith or when they're living lifestyles that aren't consistent with the gospel... All of us are called. Did you? This is really, this is a big deal. We're all called to intercept. When somebody is living a life that isn't consistent with the gospel, it's not my job to step into their lives. It's all of our jobs to step into their lives. That's called biblical accountability. And it's the highest form of love you can show. But I will tell you, in my Christian career in ministry, I will tell you, this is a place where the church as a whole, I believe we have rebelled against God by just not doing it. We don't do it. And we don't do it for reasons like, well, who am I to judge? Right? There's no verse in the Bible that says your life has to be perfect before you intercept or intervene. 
It's the greatest form of love you can show. Now, let me be really clear. We are not called to be the spiritual police. You ever been around people like that? They're no fun. You tend to unfriend them in all kinds of ways. No. We're not called to be the spiritual police. We are called to bear one another's burdens when someone is straying from the faith. What did Paul say? We are to restore gently. We're to restore gently. I'll never forget um, Michelle and I have been married probably, I don't know, it, it, we, we hadn't been married too long. It, it was in the first 10 years of our marriage. It was the first time it happened to us um, to have a, have a friend, really, really someone that we knew well, uh, that, that the, the couple had gone through an affair, that, that, that the guy had had an affair on his wife, and, and um, man, it was devastating for us. I mean... When I tell you that, like, this is the last person on planet Earth that you would ever think, like, add the power of 10. It was awful. It's a long time ago, and um, they don't live here, and, and so you, you, I, I wouldn't share anything that personal with somebody close. And, but we stayed close with them, and they made it, they made it through it. Um, they did. But they, they came over to the house one day, and, and we were all standing around talking, and um, we, we, had, we had eaten a meal or something. And, and, and the wife says, uh, we began talking about all that back there. And I want to be really clear before I tell this story. Our friend who did this, he took full ownership of it. I mean, he wasn't making excuses. He was not a victim under any circumstances. He made his choices. He did. But she began to tell us a story. She said, you know, after that happened, I had about, had about three different women, not, not together, individually. In the course of about two months, I had three different women come up to me at church and say, you know, we knew something was headed in the wrong direction. So what do you mean? She said, well, the person that the lady that he, he did this with, it, we could see her flirting with him. And I remember what my, when, when the wife wasn't around. And I remember what our friend said to those people. And I thought, good for you. She said, well, then why didn't you say something to me? I mean, just how much do you have to not love me to let that go on? Now, one time... If you see that one time, that's a one-off or maybe, I don't know, inappropriate or I don't whatever. When you see somebody in a pattern of approaching another person's spouse and you do nothing, friends, that's a community problem if we're going to live in the community of faith. And I remember, her, her, I remember the anguish in her soul of going, are, are you kidding? That you? And, and she said, I pressed them. And they're like, well, you know, we didn't want to cause trouble. Trouble? Like, look at it now. For the rest of our lives, we're going to be talking about this. This is no small thing. See, biblical, and, and by the way, and he, and, he, and he said, look, man, for a while, it's true. I didn't really pick up on the signals. And if you knew this guy, I'm telling you, he didn't pick up on the signals. He said, but then I did. And then I kind of liked it. So he took full ownership of it. But I'm telling you, friends, if we're going to take 
the community of faith seriously, sin breaks things. Sin breaks things. And if we're going to live one to another, I want to tell you something. I'm serious. I've said it, and I'm going to keep saying it. Don't you ever tell me you love me. Don't. Don't you tell me you love me. If you see a pattern in my life that is inconsistent with the way of Jesus and you say nothing, there is nothing neglectful about grace. Grace and neglect are not the same thing. Paul said to restore one another. That's the key. You don't go up to somebody saying, hey, you know, I'm going to tell you all the ways you're not living for Jesus. You know, well, that goes two ways, right? It's not what he said. He said restore. The whole purpose of accountability is restoration, that you get them back on the path. He said, so if you see someone straying from the faith, you two are restore them gently, looking at yourself first, but restore them gently. And I'm telling you, friends, it is much needed. If you want to bear someone's burden, don't let the way of sin wreck them. And I want to tell you, okay, um, I've done this a few times in my life. I have. And more often than not, it doesn't go well. So there's incentive. <laughs> right? More often than not, it doesn't go well. But it often does later. Because sometimes I'm just the first voice that said, hey, I've noticed you're like really angry. What's wrong? How can I help? Or hey, I've noticed, but you're, I've noticed that you have a pattern of just destroying people with your words. Do you know that? Often nobody, you know, nobody's ever told them. But you got to be able to receive that too. When people that are close to you see things in your walk. Let me tell you, I'm telling all of you, if you, in that moment, if you can just not talk and not react and really listen, and I've had that happen to me before, okay? And in that moment, I'm, I'm, you know, I think they're from the devil too. You know, who are you telling me that? I mean, our attitudes come up fast in those moments. But I have learned that if I've got friends and brothers and sisters that care enough about me to say, man, I think that's going to bite you if you don't stop, you will find that is somebody you want to keep close to you. Those are the real brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, God's not calling us to go around policing everybody, but he is calling us to bear the burdens. Because what did Paul say in, in Corinthians? If one suffers, we all suffer. Let me ask you something. Do you think if sin is in my life, does it affect you? Oh, you better believe it. If sin is in your life, does it affect the people at your work? If you have a problem telling the truth, if, if you're a liar, if you have a problem under pressure that you tend to lie, let me ask you something. Does this affect the people you work with? Oh, just a little. Right? If you're an angry person, does this affect your family? Oh, sort of. Right? If one suffers, we all suffer. And if one gains, we all gain. We are in this thing together, friends, whether you like it or not. We are with each other. 
We're called to steer those who are strained. But there's one more area that we are called to do. And this one's a little harder because it's a little, you know, blue sky. But I would say it this way. God calls me to steady those that are staggering. God calls me to steady those that are staggering. We are messengers of heaven when we do this. And this is hard because sometimes you don't really know what to do when people are having, when life's handing them a heavy load. You know, I heard one time it said, I'm sure you've heard this, I don't know who this was original with, but someone once said the Christian life is either going into a storm in the middle of one or coming out of one. <laughs> I mean, is it really true? It's true, man. It's, you're heading into something all the time, or you're coming out of something all the time, or somebody close to you is coming out of something all the time. So, but we are called to be people who steady those that are staggering. Life does hand people uh, a really heavy load sometimes. And I want to tell you, that's the beauty of the body of Christ, man. Uh, man, um, you know, this is what I know. I don't know how it would happen. I don't know the way it would happen. But I can tell you, I know for a fact that if the bottom fell out of my life today, I've got people in this church that, honest to God, they would say, how can I help? They would. They really would. And it's hard to know exactly how you do that, but you can't do it unless you can't do it on the periphery. You can't do it if you're that person just eating rice and apples and attending. It's called religion. You can't do it. Religious people don't have that, but Christians have it in the community of faith when we're so intertwined. I will to tell you, it gets messy, man. Right? Irma McManus said it one time, I've never forgotten it. He said, the same people that make ministry meaningful also make it messy. I mean, if you're going to do life up close, right, it's messy. And you're going to see sides of me that you don't like, and I'm going to see sides of you I don't like, and that is not the point. The point is that if we're going to do life together and get in there tight, our problems are lighter. Abraham Lincoln said, a problem shared is a problem halved. When we are together and we walk through it together, and I want to leave you with this simple understanding of you may not often know what to do in these times where people are staggering under a heavy load, but I want to give you a word of encouragement. Believe it or not, the best gift you have to give somebody in the heavy season is you. Your presence is the gift. The fact that you check on them and really mean it. And I don't mean just check on them the next week, but you're checking on them for a while. You're circling back to make sure they're okay. I've watched our church do this, man. I've watched so many people in this church when somebody's going through a, a strangely difficult or an extraordinarily difficult time. I've watched y'all in your small groups come around and you literally take the burden onto yourself and you share the load. And it's a beautiful thing to watch when it happens. That's what we're called to do. But your presence, don't forget, friends, so often it's not, you don't know the right things to say, but you know people will remember that you were there. That's what they'll remember. They'll remember that you were there and that you took the time out of your life to slow your life down and just minister to them in a way of your presence. And that is mission critical. It, it really does work. It really, really does work. So this morning... I'm going to put a challenge in front of you, okay? So it's hard to know, how do I begin doing better at burden bearing? Well, I want to say to you, I'm not, I'm not saying that God's calling you to change everybody's world, but he is calling you to change the world of the things that come across your path. And that's how I often look at it. 
If it came across my path, then often I'm called to do something about it or at least investigate it. So this morning as you think about where do I start, I want to start with something that you've probably all seen. Um, who's got a phone? Oh, everybody. Alexis, you get your phone? Yeah, let me see your phone. Yeah. I won't. Don't, don't open it up. That's not good. Because I'll, I'll post something in your name. I will. I've done it before to people. It's my favorite thing to do to people. Don't ever leave your phone like unprotected around me because there will be weird Facebook posts that you uh, lost a friend that way one time. That's a whole different story. All right. Um, but it is really fun. I like to do, you know, post just really funny, quirky stuff on their behalf. Just saying. Whole other sermon. I'm off track. Um, there's many times if you haven't used your Maps app in a while and you go into your privacy settings. This is all for you that are saved and have iPhones. For all of you that are not, um, y'all are a little slow today. That was really good. Um, so you can go into your privacy settings and you can, uh, when you click it on, sometimes it will ask you to recalibrate your phone and you'll have to turn it all kinds of ways. It's trying to get your compass to be oriented. If you have a compass app, most of you don't know east from west, but if you do, all right, if you ever need to know east from west, because it kind of matters, then you'll, your phone, don't be surprised if it says twist your phone. And what it's doing is it's recalibrating. And literally, you just move it around, and then all of a sudden, your compass gets back on track. I think that's where we start. I think where we start is just saying, God, recalibrate my life that I can be a noticer. God's not calling you to change the whole world, but he is calling you to impact yours. And that starts with the way that you orient to the path you're on. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world. Is sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.